So in session one, uh, we were thinking that James wants us to view our wealth as a trial. Okay? Not as, oh yeah, I want to be rich. But as a, actually to be rich is a trial, a responsibility to persevere in uh, because there's a crown of life to come. Um, We're going to see a second kind of shift in our thinking around money that I hope will be helpful for us from the end of James chapter 1. But let's pray together, and then we shall read. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for food and for church family and for resources. And Father, we ask that you'd please help us. Lord, we, in some ways, we, it does make us feel quite uncomfortable, some of this stuff. It's, it's not easy. But Father, we pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So James chapter 1, verse 27, you have it printed out in your books. Uh, It's also in the Bible, obviously, on page 1213, just like it was earlier. Page 1213, where it says this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is an interesting verse. I think it's a verse that perhaps if we were giving feedback to James and didn't know he was inspired by the Spirit, we might question some of his choice of words. Which words might we question? Religion. Polluted, good. Religion. James, why have you used the word religion? Because everybody knows that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. We've been taught that since we were very little, It's not a religion, and yet James seems to say, well, religion. So that's an unusual word for us, not a word that we particularly feel comfortable with, but there is something about that word, something about the discipline and the applying ourselves, which the word religion, religious, rightly uh, um, applies to. So let's not be squeamish about the word religion. What else might we find troubling? Faultless. Yeah, why might we find that troubling? What do we think? Because we can't be faultless, all right? So we know that we're not pure and faultless, and yet God our Father accepts this religion as pure and faultless. And what is it that he accepts as pure and faultless? Well, James, we all know that to be pure and faultless in God's eyes means... You believe in Jesus, and if you believe in Jesus, then you're pure and faultless. And James says, actually, religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is to look after widows and orphans. And we go, "Uh, hang on, what's that about? That's what I want us to unpack. And what I want to try and show, what what, what I want us to try and think through together, uh, just for a few minutes, and then we're going to split into two groups. I want to get us thinking, and then we're going to split into two. The second big thing I want us to see is that around this whole thing of money and wealth, this trial of wealth, James wants to drive us to be people-focused. He wants us to care more about people than we do about money and stuff. He wants us to care for people. And in fact, particularly, he wants us to care for people who are in need. For the weakest. Now, let's, let's do this together because I think it will help us to, um, to, to kind of stick with it. Um, 
orphans and widows in, in a society like James is writing into, where there's no social security, there's no welfare state, they are the weakest of the weak, right? They have no way of providing for themselves, widows and orphans. They are in dire need. Why does James think we should care for them? Why? Because it's nice? No. Why? Because no one else will, okay? But why? Why is James saying that Christians should be particularly concerned for the poor and needy? It's not a, I'm not asking a difficult question, I don't think. Because God does, right? God's nature is to care for the poor and the needy. And therefore, if you take the name of Christ, then you share his concern. But here's a question. Why does God care for the poor and the needy? Because it's not obvious that he would, is it? It's not, it's not kind of inevitable that God would care for the poor and needy. Because God could be some force that created heaven and earth. He breathed it into existence. It came into existence and he said, right, off you go, have a fight and let's see who wins. Why does God care for the poor and the needy? Right, because they bear his image, because here is the God who is a loving God. Right? It is love that compels him. It is his love that constrains him to be concerned for the poor and the needy. You could have a powerful God who would not care at all for the poor and the needy. Let's imagine a kingdom. You could have a powerful dictator who did not care at all for the poor in his kingdom. Isn't that true? But God is not like that. God is the God of love. His heart is a heart of love. And so God cares uh, for the widow and the orphan. And because that is what God is like, that is to invade us. That is to grip us. Now God, um, because he was so like, is so like this, he wrote into his law, laws about widows and orphans, right? God wrote stuff. See, sometimes we think that, um, that God's law is about don't do naughty things and do do good things. Actually, God builds his character into his law. We're going to see this in the next few weeks, I think, in, in Exodus as we look at God's law. But God's character is revealed in his law. And therefore, his law is bursting with care for the widow and the orphan. So if you own a field, where do you not harvest? Some of you know this stuff, right? Where do you not harvest? You don't harvest the edges. Why not? Why do you leave a strip around the outside so that the poor and the widow can come and collect grain? They can get food. And I want you to turn to um, Psalm 103 with me. Psalm 103, page 605, it says this, Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion 
who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Right, that word compassion, that is the word I want us to cling on to. God is full of compassion. When he revealed himself to Moses, he said, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in love, gracious and compassionate. This is what God is like. When God sees someone in need, it moves him. That's what compassion means. That's what mercy means. Mercy means to see someone in need, to see someone in a pit, and to be moved by it. So, if we were walking along the street, uh, maybe not the street, maybe the beach, and we're, we're walking along the beach, it's a beautiful day, and then we see someone being sucked into the mud in the sinking sand, and they're crying out, and they're being sucked down into the pit of, of this mud, and you walk past compassion, mercy, means to see that person and to be moved by their need and therefore to act in line with it. The opposite of compassion and mercy is to just keep walking. In fact, let's change it slightly, shall we? Let's say it's not a beach. Let's say it's a man who's been beaten up by robbers. He was on a road. Where should we say he was going? Let's say he was going to Jericho, right? He's walking along a road to Jericho. He gets beaten up by some robbers. And as he lies there, beaten up, along comes a religious man. Let's say, call him a Pharisee. And uh, he's walking along and he sees the man beaten up and he walks on by. That, that is not God's character. That's not compassion and mercy. Along comes another man. He's a Levite. And he walks along, he sees the man, he walks by. That is not compassion. Then comes the third man who is a Samaritan. And the man walks by, and as he sees the man... Look, I, need you to, I need you to understand this, right? This isn't just some story where he goes, and he showed magic. I want you to imagine what's happening inside him. He sees the man, and it physically does something to him. It's like, oh, look at that. That man's in trouble. Need to go and help him. Do you not see? There's a. There's, compassion is a physical thing. To be moved by something. The first two men, as they walk by, they're just not moved by the man drowning in the pit or covered in blood and bruises. They're not moved by the man. But the Samaritan is. For those of you who haven't guessed, by the way, this is a, this is a story Jesus told. Uh, it's called the Good Samaritan. It's quite a good one. And, uh, and it's the Samaritan who is an enemy of God's people who's the one who goes to help. Um, turn with me to, to Luke and let's, let's, look at us, let's look at this carefully. This will help us to understand, I think, uh, what we're being shown. Um, Come to Luke, um, Luke chapter 10, page 1042. Jesus told this story. Have a look at it. Jesus told this story. Luke chapter 10. Let's go from verse 25. 
An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what's written in the law? That's an odd answer, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Someone asks you that, and you go, you just need to believe in Jesus. Jesus goes, no, you need to keep the law. That's weird. Let's see why. The man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. This doesn't sound like a normal gospel conversation. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells him the story, and here's the point of the story. You need to learn from the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the one who gets it right. The Samaritan is the one who shows mercy who picks up the man, who dumps him on his donkey, places him on his donkey, who leads the donkey to the inn, who pays for the man, who binds up the man's wounds, who restores the man, who pays the price for the man to be in the inn. And look what what it says at the end, verse 36. Jesus Jesus is an amazing master teacher. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? You've got to pitch the scene, Right? Here's the, here's, the proud, here's the proud teacher of the law. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, well, you need to keep the law. And uh, what does it say in the law? Oh, you've got to love God and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you live. Ah, uh, yeah, but who's my neighbor? Uh, story, story, story. Okay, so which one was the neighbor? Do you not see this man is in a really big, got a big problem now? Because the answer to the question is it's the Samaritan, not the Pharisee, not the Levites, the Samaritan, <laughs> the enemy. He can't even bring himself to say it. So look what he says. The one who had mercy on him. <laughs> he can't say, oh, it's the Samaritan. Hooray for the Samaritan. He says, oh, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus says, now you go and be like that Samaritan. <laughs> That's a, that, is, that man had a pretty shocking lesson that day. Because any religion that is not driven by a mercy towards people is worthless in God's eyes. Utterly worthless. Any religion that could lead you to treating people harshly and cruelly and ignore them and leave them beaten up while you walk on by is utterly worthless in God's eyes. Doesn't matter how impressive it looks, doesn't matter how fine it sounds, doesn't matter how much it costs, if it leaves people and ignores people, it's worthless in God's eyes. Why does Jesus tell this story of the Good Samaritan? How many people here find this a challenging story? How many people... Okay, thank you for being honest. (laughs) How many people here um, feel like this is an impossible standard Jesus is calling us to? I think it is. And I think that's the point of the story. There's only one man who's ever lived like this. There's only one Samaritan. There's only one man who's ever seen people in desperate need and been so driven by a love, even for his enemies, that he would leave heaven itself and come to them, that he would bind up their wounds, that he would show them love, that he would pick them up, that he would carry them to a place of safety, that he would pay the price for them to be healed. There's only one. 
Jesus is the only man who's ever lived who's kept the law perfectly. Jesus is the Samaritan in this story. Jesus is the one who shows mercy to his enemy. And until we get hold of the fact that we're not the Samaritan, we're the dead, beaten up man on the street in desperate need of mercy from Jesus, we'll never be in a position to then show mercy to others. Jesus came to show mercy first and foremost to you. You See, we hit sit here going, oh, I don't know if I can show mercy to all these people beaten up. There's so many beaten up people in the world. How am I going to show mercy to all of them? Well, the first thing to realize is you're one of them. The first thing we need is to experience the mercy of Jesus that came looking for us, that showed kindness to us, that was moved by our need, that bound us up, that went to a cross to pay for our sins so that we could be set free and redeemed. But now it must follow that if we're those who experience mercy, it will have a radical transforming power on our hearts. That we would now be those who begin to say, Jesus, would you make me like that? Jesus, would you change me? Would you, as as I experience your mercy, would you make me a channel of mercy to others? That's what we should be like, right? If we're those who've been shown mercy by Jesus, we should go around kind of spraying it everywhere. As it comes into us, it should go, mercy, because if, because it, Mercy is not given to us just to kind of store it up so we get fatter and fatter and fatter on mercy. If you do that one day, you'll just explode and die. Sort of. But instead, as as we receive mercy, it must overflow in mercy to others. And so coming back to James, James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress. That is to not close our eyes, but to see, to see people who are in need, to see people who we can show mercy to, to be moved by the needs of others, to care for people, particularly those who are in distress. And this is what you see throughout the life of Jesus. Just read the gospel over and over again. He sees He has compassion. He has compassion. He has compassion. He's moved. He sees the crowds like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. He sees a woman whose son has died. His heart went out to her and he's moved. He sees a blind beggar who's crying out for mercy and he stops to heal him. Do you not see? Over and over again, Jesus, Jesus is the one who shows mercy and therefore we are to be those who follow him. So as we talk about money and as we thought in the first session about money and our wealth and as a trial, actually, I wonder what hold people have on our hearts. Now, I want to say um, really clearly that there are many generous people who aren't Christians. Right? In fact, I reckon a lot of non-Christians are way more generous than I am towards charity and towards relieving poverty. How do we cope with that? Are we just supposed to kind of try and do it better? No, I, I think there's a difference. You see, when our world sees someone in poverty, they are moved by it. 
Many people. Some aren't. Many are. And they act to help. That is a wonderful thing. And it's, it's part of being in God's image. It's a glorious thing. But Christian, your response should be different. It's not the same. Because when you see someone in deep need, you see more of their need. You see the physical need and the spiritual separation from God. The need is... We have a, a clear view of the need. And therefore, Christian compassion is aimed at relieving need, the great need of our world. And sometimes oh, it does my head in, and you may have heard this, sometimes it gets set against, you know, kind of relieving people's physical need and relieving people's spiritual need and, you know, shouldn't we just preach the gospel that we need to feed people as well? And I'm like, oh, for goodness sake, this isn't that difficult, right? This isn't that hard. You care for people. You don't split them up into, well, I'll care for your spiritual bit but not your physical bit. You care for people. We love people, right? People are physical and spiritual beings and therefore we share if people are only physical, then just care for their physical needs. If they're only spiritual, then just care for their spiritual needs. But if people are physical, spiritual beings, then care for their physical and spiritual needs. And the reality is that we will always be drawn. Here's the danger, right? The physical needs can sometimes be so overwhelming that they completely swamp the spiritual. And we can swing all the way over here and go, well, in that case, I'm just going to... Tell them about Jesus because that's what they really need. But we can't do that. And so I long that we would be a church who thinks about people and thinks how we can care for people. Now, um, we're going to stop in just a second so that we can get into groups and talk about this. We're going to sing and then get into groups. But I, I find this slightly overwhelming. And I walked across London Bridge a little while ago and there were so many people teeming into the city. I just thought, I can't do it. I can't care for all these people. I can't. There's too many people. There's too many needs. I can't do it. Okay, start with one. Find one. Find one person who you could start to really care for and help and show compassion to and be moved and, and care for them and begin to develop a habit of mercy. Mercy where we see people as spiritual and physical people who are created in God's image that we would care for them and say let me give you bread and let me give you the bread of life let me feed you let me help you let's begin to ask that Jesus might give us one and then maybe more but it all stems from the experience of mercy that we've received from Jesus Jesus 